0: Life Audio. Hi, Teach Us to Pray listeners. We're jumping into the feed today to introduce you to another show in the Life Audio network called The Bible Never Said That, hosted by Shara Donahue. The Bible Never Said That is all about taking a hard look at popular spiritual statements and phrases that sound like they come from Scripture but aren't anywhere in the Bible. Right now, Shara is in a new series called Out of Context, where she looks at a verse or section of scripture that is often taken out of context. In the episode we're sharing with you today, Shara investigates one of the most popular verses in the Bible, Jeremiah 29, 11. This verse is plastered on walls, coffee mugs, and diaries, but without its historical and scriptural context, we miss its original intent, and thus its meaning for us now. But don't despair. If this first comforts you, it still will when Shara's done. If you like this episode, just search for The Bible Never Said That in your favorite podcast app or at lifeaudio.com. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks, and enjoy the show.
1: Hello, listeners. My name is Shara Donahue, and welcome to The Bible Never Said That, we are on our second episode of The Bible Out of Context, where instead of popular sayings that are biblically unsound, we are looking at actual Bible verses that people use in a way that is inaccurate. Today, we are hitting a verse that is plastered on walls and coffee mugs galore. Jeremiah 29 11. Now, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, if this verse is one of the verses you often turn to for comfort, don't despair. It might often be ripped from context, but there is hope for those of us who belong to Jesus, and we will get to talking about that. But first... Let's take a look at the context of this book. First of all, this verse is from a prophetic book. The prophets, the prophets, they had a rough gig. While they had the privilege of sharing the amazing news of redemption and restoration, not all of them had good news to deliver and often had to share the coming judgment of God. Their calls for repentance didn't usually fall until listening ears or teachable hearts. And they have bad marriages and terrible nightmares, absolutely strange scenarios that they lived through, and much weeping often plagued them. They predicted and warned about the Assyrian takeover, the destruction of their own people brought forth by idolatry, and Babylonian captivity. These prophets... Undoubtedly played a major role in the history of Israel. The great news found in the prophets is the reassurance that God is not blind to evil and he will not allow wickedness to go unchecked. This clear judgment should terrify those who seek to harm the people of God and sow iniquity on the earth. Yes. The prophets declare destruction and warning, but also hope, restoration, and the coming Messiah, which was the greatest news ever shared until the news shifted to the Messiah, Jesus, has arrived. Every bit of the Bible has worth, and even though many of the events that the prophets foretold have happened already, Some of their prophecies are still yet to come. Todd Hampson suggests that studying prophecy helps us to grow in discipleship, as it will encourage us to grow spiritually and live with more purity and dedication as the world descends into darkness. He says it helps us grow evangelistically, as our desire to point people away from the brokenness of the world and to Jesus grows. And it deepens our biblical worldview as it gives us clearer perspective when living through giant world events. Gosh, don't we need that in these chaotic days? Hampson also says that fulfilled prophecy gives us the clearest evidence of the Bible's reliability and that so accurate were Daniel's predictions that critics have argued that the book of Daniel must have been written after those events took place sometime during the second century B.C., Now, there was a lot of evidence to debunk that claim that Hansen covers in his book. But what I want you to see and pay attention to is that when we study prophecy, we get this comfort of the Bible's accuracy, and it also points us again and again at the faithfulness of God. Looking back at the ways he gave a promise and fulfilled a promise in the past emboldens our confidence in what he's promised for the future. All right. Now that that flyover about prophecy is over, let's get on with the specifics of this verse in particular. Who is Jeremiah? Sometimes you will hear him referred to as the weeping prophet because he is brokenhearted for the state of Judah. He keeps trying to warn them, but they will not turn from their rebellion against the holy God. Chapter 1 of Jeremiah does a great job at introducing us to him. It tells us he prophesied to the people of Judah through five kings for approximately 40 years. The guy was young when he started and faithfully served in the occupation that God had set before him. But the people and kings of Judah never really wanted to listen to him. In fact, they often turned to prophets who just told them, What they wanted to hear. False prophets, indeed, are the ones that will do that. But Jeremiah spoke for the Lord even when it hurt. The big event heading towards Judah is the exile to Babylon. Jeremiah prophecies in chapter 25, verses 11 through 12, that this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. Hear the warning in those verses. See the discipline. But look for the redemption in there. All of these things come to pass, and there is much sorrow. The whole book of Lamentations is dedicated to it. Now, the author of Lamentations is not quite clear, though many believe it to be Jeremiah. The whole book is a lament about the destruction of Jerusalem and the Israelites' exile to Babylon. Listen to these first five verses of the Lament. Once the exile begins, how lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become. She who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate. Her priests groan, her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head, her enemies prosper. Because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions, her children have gone away, captives before the foe. It is with this context this context in mind that we can read Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, but let's make sure to look at the verses around it as well. Starting at verse 10, going through 14. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, here comes the hope. I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place for I know the plans I have for you And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. These are words to the people of Israel who are exiled in Babylon. So to use this verse to declare a promise for today is faulty because this verse is already fulfilled prophecy. But we can trust that God will keep his word. There are consequences for disobedience and that God will. Has pursued us. Another problem that can arise from using this verse out of context is that people often claim it over their life with their own predictions of what a plan for their welfare looks like, not what God's good means. Sometimes it's for a relationship to work out, a new opportunity, or some other version of a hoped for future. But remember, it is God who defines what is best for our welfare and our ideas don't always align with his. So what hope can we have for the future if this verse doesn't apply to us? I love this from Russell Moore. And if you want to read the full article, it's in the notes. He says, Jeremiah 29, 11 must be read in the context of the whole book of Jeremiah. And the book of Jeremiah must be read in the context of Israel's story. But then all of Jeremiah and all of Israel's story must be read in the context of God's purposes in Jesus Christ. All the promises of God find their yes in him, 2 Corinthians one twenty. If we are in Christ, then all the horrors of judgment warned about in the prophets have fallen on us in the cross where we were united to Christ as he bore the curse of the law, Galatians 3.13. And... If we are in Christ, then all of the blessings promised to Abraham's offspring are now ours, since we are unified to the heir of all those promises, Galatians three fourteen through 29. Then Moore says, The passage doesn't promise you the kind of future American culture prizes, and maybe even promises a future you would tremble at if you saw it in a crystal ball. Short term, you may suffer. But long-term, your future is co-signed with Christ. That's a future for your welfare and not for evil. A future of hope, not of despair. So maybe we have to learn to differentiate between what our ideas of good plans look like and God's. But we do know that we have a good God who makes good plans. Of that, we can be sure. And this God knows your future. He does love you. And he can be your hope. We have many other scriptures that reinforce those truths. We don't need to pull one out of context to show it. When stronger scriptures like John 3.16 and many more exist. Let's look at John 3.16. We know it well, but sometimes we forget the power of it. For God so loved the world... That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Do you see that there? God has a good plan. He gave his son to rescue, to save, to give a hope and a future. Will you pray with me? Great and holy God how marvelous and wonderful you are. Thank you for the gift of fulfilled prophecy that you have given us in the scriptures. May it embolden our faith to move into uncertain futures with the confidence that we will see your goodness there. May we not be afraid of the unknown, but rest in all that is known to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining me today. Recently, a listener contacted me to ask about book suggestions, so I am going to try out briefly putting one here at the end of each episode. These are not books I'm being forced to share about. They will most likely be ones I just pulled off my shelf because I want you to know about them because they have been helpful to me. Today's book recommendation I used for research for today's discussion. It's called The Nonprofit's Guide to the End Times by Todd Hansen. This book is funny, biblically accurate, and a lighthearted way to study what the Bible says about the end times. Honestly, I didn't know that I could be so entertained by a book centering around such a difficult subject. Give it a look if it sounds interesting to you. The verses and articles referred to in this podcast can be found in the show notes at lifeaudio.com podcast or on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And we'd love if you would rate and review this podcast so others can find us. Until next time. May you seek the abundant life Jesus died to give and live in the truth that sets people free. Hi, I'm Zach. And I'm Randy. And we're from Salty Saints Podcast. or a theology and apologetics podcast. To find out more,
0: subscribe at lifeaudio.com.